And just like that, we are back. This is West of Everest. Lee Benson here, joined once again by Grant Benson. And still, even though we are in the same state, we've decided to record this podcast in two separate locations. Because simply, just like last time, logistically, it just makes more sense. Oklahoma is in a bowl game this week. And as you're hearing this, two days from now, that's when Oklahoma kicks off against Arizona on Thursday. It's the Alamo Bowl in San Antonio. It's an Arizona team that I knew was pretty good, but now after watching a solid amount of tape on the Wildcats, I think it's an Arizona team that's actually really, really good. And it's not a surprise that Arizona finished third in the Pac-12 behind both Washington and Oregon. In fact, I think it's probably Washington, Oregon, Arizona, and then a pretty decent drop-off between, I think, the, the next best team in that conference after watching more of Arizona tape, especially the way the season ended. Grant, the Sooners arrived in San Antonio on Christmas Eve, December 24th. I saw some social media posts from their practice today, just the classic uh, quick cut music, pads popping, kind of, because I guess they weren't really hitting. They were only in uh, helmets and shells. So it, you know, it was a sign that it's almost game day, and it's been more than a month since Oklahoma beat TCU in the regular season finale, and finally, we're almost back to football. Yeah, I think, um, you know, obviously there's been quite of a journey here about, you know, ever since the the bowl game matchup was introduced over a month ago. I know a lot of people were were disappointed by it. I was definitely one of those people as well. But now that we're to game week and everything is kind of settled and we know who is going to be there, who's going to be available, um, I'm I'm in. I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to see what this thing is going to look like. Um, I'm, I'm not feeling as sort of bad about this game really at all um I agree with you I think Arizona is a, a really good team I think they are by far the second best team Oklahoma has played this season um and I think it's going to be an interesting challenge I'm, I'm really excited to see Jackson Arnold sort of get his uh get his feet wet against what is I, I mean for for my money right now I Arizona for all intents and purposes in my mind is is a top 10 team right now essentially they're they're playing like one for sure I agree. I, I totally agree. So this is it. This is our Alamo Bowl preview show. And as of today, by the way, we're recording Christmas evening. So Merry Christmas to you all. Uh, as you'll be listening to this, though, it'll be uh, the next day and we'll be getting closer and closer. As we record this, the Sooners are a two and a half point underdog to Arizona. And for basically ever since the game was announced about a month ago, that number had been Arizona by three. So Perhaps that means that a little bit more money has come in on Oklahoma in the last few weeks, so that number's ticked under three. If you're a big believer in Arizona, uh, you know obviously three is a key number, so if you can get it under three, you definitely want to get that number. But right now, I mean, it's uh, you know two and a half, three. That's kind of where it's at. Basically, it's the odds makers telling you this game's pretty close to a, a toss up. And if Dylan Gabriel would have you know wouldn't have opted out, and he was still the starting quarterback, and the you know the Everything was kind of the same. I think Oklahoma's probably favored in this game. I think the number is what it is because Dylan Gabriel is not the quarterback, and he's probably worth anywhere from five to six points as, as far as the odds makers go. And I mean, I mean, maybe you could push back on me on that, but I, I mean, I think if Oklahoma has Dylan Gabriel, they're probably favored by a field goal in this game, two and a half, three. 
Yeah, uh, I think it would just be. Why. I think it'd just be a mirror image of what it is right now, in all likelihood. And um, yeah, I mean, this is one where this is a, a game where it's like you know, if you follow the bowl season, you know that lines are just all over the place, and you know, like you know, hour or so before kickoff, they kind of jump up and down like on a wave, just because nobody really knows what's going on. Um, I th- this one feels just right. Whatever, like Vegas set it at, because like you know, it opened as or it did it, it opened as Arizona as a favorite, just because we already knew that that Gabriel was not going to play. But you know, if you look at a lot of the the analytical matchups, like kind of the stuff that Vegas uses, it has Oklahoma is basically anywhere between like a two and a half and four point favorite against Arizona, full strength. So I yeah, I think this is totally fair. I think Arizona being favored by two and a half is correct. I, that seems to be the best line for this game right now because there is that sort of uncertainty about the quarterback position at OU but other than that and and like I understand that Andrew Rame and Caden Green are not playing in this game but otherwise OU is totally at full strength in this game um and and, you know Dylan Gabriel as well and so the more that I've kind of of a big one (laughs) yeah and that that is a big one but also I, I think one of the underrated things about this game going in is that um, Oklahoma's defense is going to be healthy for the first time since the Texas game. And so um, I'm really interested to see kind of how that how that turns out. I and mean, we're about to see Danny Stutzman healthy for the first time since October. So um, I, I'm really looking forward to that. And I think uh, if you would have asked me right after this game was announced and we knew DG probably wasn't going to play, I, I would have said, man, this has, this has the makings of just kind of an unfortunate blowout uh, for OU. Um, I don't, I don't feel that way anymore. I'm, I'm feeling pretty good actually at this point in time about OU coming out and surprising and maybe getting a dub. Yeah, I hope that's the case with Stutzman. We're going to talk a little bit more about that coming up, by the way, as you all probably know, this Thursday kickoff set for 815. But as we all know, during bowl season, heck, the last time a couple of years ago when Oklahoma played in the Alamo Bowl against Oregon, I was there for it. I feel like that game was pushed back an extra 20 or 30 minutes because of TV. If I mean, I feel like that game didn't kick off to like 8.40 in San Antonio. I remember thinking, God, it's so late. What are we doing here? So anyways, just a heads up, that's, that's the game. Uh, okay, so you kind of jumped into a couple things that we're going to get to as we get into this bowl preview. And for fans of the show, if you've been listening for many, many years, this is going to be pretty similar to some of our old-time previews where we would go – pretty far in depth in the previewing games and admittedly we have taken a step back the last couple of seasons haven't gotten as deep depending on well consistently I'd say depending on the matchups if it was big matchups I think we've gotten pretty deep into it Uh, but we will admit that we have kind of maybe uh, pulled off a little bit but here now I mean I think this game is pretty interesting and there's not much else going on so it's worth diving deep into it breaking it down by Oklahoma's offense against Arizona's defense and then flipping the script, and then obviously talking about anything else that comes to mind. So I want to begin this with a generic general question, and you've kind of already answered it a little bit, but I'll pose it to you one more time, or again, and maybe you can say some, something else, or you can add on to what you said a moment ago. The question is, how good really is Arizona, and where would you rank this Arizona team compared to the other teams that Oklahoma has played so far this season on its schedule? And I know you said a moment ago that you think by far it's the second-best team that Oklahoma has seen. Yeah, um, and that's just what I, I mean, period. There you go. The only, like I thought, um, is honestly pretty hard to to gauge who the quote-unquote second-best team OU played this season after Texas. Um, honestly, like 
SP plus and FPI and all those things says that it was either SMU or TCU. Um, and so I don't really know how I feel about that. I, I think probably all things be equal. The second best team OU's played this year is probably Kansas, uh, which doesn't speak very highly to, to OU's schedule. Uh, but this Arizona team is a lot better than Kansas. So um, this is an Arizona team right now who, and you know, on this podcast, we've talked a lot about those other three teams that got into the New Year's Six over Oklahoma. I, I take Arizona right now in a neutral field against all three of those teams is how I feel about it right now. Yeah, and I agree with you. I think this is clearly going to be Oklahoma's second biggest test of the season after Texas. And the more I've watched their, you know, their their tape, their games, I was able to watch, you know, it, it was tough to to get a whole lot of Arizona because even though I have YouTube TV this year and I can record whatever I want, I guess I just did not record a bunch of Arizona games and I didn't have any of their games on on my uh on my YouTube TV unfortunately. So, I was able to find the Washington game from late September, that was the first game that Arizona's quarterback started. And I was able to watch, a, a, you know, highlights and decent amounts of other games here and there, mostly USC. And after watching as much as I have, I'm with you, man. I mean, I've watched a ton of Penn State this season. Certainly watched a lot more Penn State than I've watched Missouri and Ole Miss. And Arizona is just overall uh, both – offense defense everything so much more consistent than Penn State in every single facet obviously Penn State's defense is is better but Arizona's defense is solid and Arizona's offense is really really good and they're able to strain you and stress you in a lot of different ways and special teams wise Arizona looks pretty solid too so uh, I I don't know if they're better than Ole Miss and Missouri but they probably wouldn't be favored against those two teams actually they wouldn't be favored against any of those teams but I'd feel pretty good about Arizona holding their own and potentially winning against any of those teams. So I'm kind of with you on that. And uh, in a way, I guess they're Arizona's nine and three, so they don't have that extra win. They they should have beaten USC. I think they have the chances. So I think they'd yeah. almost certainly be favored over Missouri. Um, Ole Miss may might be like a pick 'em. They'd probably be like they'd probably be like four or five point dogs to Penn State. I disagree. I think. The fact that Missouri is, I get that McCord's out for Ohio State, but Missouri's like a one-point favorite over Ohio State, and I, I think Missouri would probably be like a two-and-a-half point, three-point favorite, kind of similar to OU uh, over, over uh, Arizona, and, and they'd probably favor Ole Miss over them just for the same, because the SEC over, I, I think it'd probably take, be Ole I, Miss by three. I, I, I do really take um, like SP Plus into account in there. Arizona is ahead of both Ole Miss and Missouri and SP Plus. I don't like. I'm sure Vegas has. I'm sure the oddsmakers know about all that stuff, but I don't know how much. I mean, they have their own formula. I mean, Vegas oddsmakers, they have their own thing. I mean, and maybe sometimes it corresponds, but whatever. We have a difference of opinion. The point is, I mean, that Arizona's a really good football team, and as much as I wanted to see Oklahoma take on Penn State in a bigger game, I mean, this potentially, certainly for Oklahoma's defense, it's a lot bigger challenge than Penn State would have been. Certainly now for Oklahoma's offense, Penn State would have been a much bigger challenge uh, defensively, you know, Penn State's defense. But overall, I think, for against both facets of Oklahoma offense defense, I think Arizona is a lot more of a complete team. Uh, Talent-wise, just what they can do to you. And so, uh, yeah, so I, we're both in agreement on that. Um, I think, let's see, I, I guess I have a couple things I wanted to, to bring up. 
Uh, Arizona, they played eight games since Noah Fafita has been the starting quarterback. And Arizona is 6-2 and two since then. Uh, but that includes a six-game winning streak. Of course, his first start was against Washington. They lost by a touchdown, even though they had their chances in that game. But Washington, for the most part, kept them at arm's length and, and won that game, even, even though it was only a touchdown. Uh, and it, it was at Washington, though. So it was on the road for uh, – wait, was it at Washington? No, it was in Tucson. No, it was in Tucson. You're right. Okay, They so played at USC. There. They were at USC, and that was a game in which uh, you, they, they lost in triple overtime – and Arizona's kicker, who otherwise this season has actually been pretty solid, has only missed one field goal under 40 yards, and it was in bad weather conditions. But he had a 50-yard field goal that he missed against USC with two minutes to go in the game that would have given them a three-point lead and potentially the win. Uh, of course, that was the, you know, one of his misses this season, and then uh, they uh, were able to you – know, they, they lost. They had some they, – they couldn't convert a – two-point play at the end a really awful two-point play that could have kept the game going so anyways they had their chances to beat usc but after those two games fafita and the offense and the whole team has been on fire i mean they haven't i guess there was one game where they were kind of challenged that was colorado other than that they've they've won pretty handily in five of those six games and i think that offense for arizona is really really good and i think statistically oklahoma's seen some similar offenses i mean texas uh, UCF statistically, Kansas, even SMU to some extent, depending on what metrics you're looking at. Uh, I think Arizona is certainly better than SMU, but just as far as what Oklahoma has seen, what makes this such a troubling matchup, though, Grant, for Oklahoma's defense is Fafita's ability to throw the ball, complete passes, and he's also really good at buying time with his legs. And we all know that Oklahoma's weakness is in the secondary, and so Arizona's strength is their quarterback, and Arizona's pass catchers are really, really good. Yeah, no, and, that. and that's um, that's obviously the thing that gives you the most pause going into this game. That's the thing that scares you the most about Arizona, frankly. And it's, it has to start. You already brought up Fafita. Fafita's really solid. Um, he's a guy who, you know, I've listened to some podcasts this week, too, of, you know, Arizona guys sort of talking about him. And, and you know, he's like a – he just does a really good job of kind of keeping the offense on schedule. He's an accurate passer. You know, he's not – he's – his numbers suggest that he's not like the most explosive guy in the entire world in terms of like throwing it down the field. But honestly, when you got the receivers he has, you don't you don't need that necessarily. And so before we kind of get into one of their other, you know, one of their opt outs, they have you know, their left tackle, Jordan Morgan, who is a potential first round pick. He's not going to play in this game. I do think that's probably significant uh, for a team like Arizona. But I, I mean, when I'm talking about when I'm looking at Arizona's offense, it completely just starts with with Tedaroa McMillan, who Lee. I, I'm just going to say it right now, and you can you can call foul on this at all. Uh, this is the best offensive player that OU will, will see this season, and I am pretty confident about that. Yeah, I don't have any problem with that. I'd, I'd say, and I know that we disagree on this. I, I think Xavier Worthy is really good, mainly because of his speed. I think, I think Xavier, Xavier Worthy is Xavier Worthy's really really good too. I. I think Xavier well, Worthy you, is probably like, going to be like, like a second round pick. Him, this guy's going to be like a top ten pick. This guy's awesome. Okay, okay, hold on. That's that's what I'm saying. Like the only thing that Xavier Worthy would have on on this guy is speed. I think he's faster than this guy. Other than that, uh, they call him T Mac. This dude's awesome. Uh, he's to me, he looks like and he, he looks like Nick Anderson, but just more polished. So, I mean, I think Nick Anderson. And they have the same numbers, so that helps. But they're both tall. They can move really well. I, when I watch this dude, I think this can be Nick Anderson next year. 
or you know, if he continues to improve and get better and gets you know, a bunch of targets. I mean, a bunch of targets. He has 80 catches, over 1,200 yards, 10 touchdowns, and he went to high school with Fafita, so they're they're buddies. They have a great rapport, and he is just such a mismatch. And I mean, I guess we'll jump into. I mean, you know, we know Oklahoma doesn't travel their corners, so he's going to go up against different guys here and there. It's going to be really, really important in this game, and I don't know where it stands, and I'm not even sure if it's possible, but Gentry Williams needs to be healthy in this game. If Gentry Williams is healthy and can play a full game, that's massive because, you know, he's got the size. He's about, you know, 6'1", a little bit taller. Uh, You know, Woody Washington's going to get dwarfed by this guy. I mean, everybody's going to be dwarfed by this guy. Gentry plays a little bit longer. Uh, Robert Spears Jennings, you know, as a safety, he's up there. He's kind of, but this guy is just so long and big and smooth and can catch everything. And it's just, he's really, really impressive. And uh, it's pretty incredible that they were able to get this guy to go to Arizona. I guess it's probably because Fafita, they probably have that rapport. And I, this, this dude was a five star receiver. I believe. Yeah, no, this guy was a, what everybody wanted him. Yes. So this was not a, this is not just like, oh, some diamond in the rough guy that who just, all of a sudden in his second year in college just blew up. Yeah, no, this guy's a stud. Um, and he looks, I mean, when you watch him, it's just he he looks like a dude. The way his body control, the way that he moves, it's it's freakish. It's almost like I, I don't know, it's it's almost like make Mark Andrews a little like skinnier and way more athletic. That's like almost what he's like. And um, so I'm, a, I'm, I'm concerned about this guy. This guy's going to be really difficult to stop. When I watch them play offense... Um, my, my initial thought is you have to do everything in your power to not let this guy beat you. If you can somehow, like you have to bracket this guy, you have to, you have to, otherwise I, he's, if, if, OU just kind of treats him just like any other guy, he is going to go off. He is going to have a massive game and is going to be a huge problem. Yeah. It's yeah. You see a guy like him and he just jumps off the tape and he's had a terrific season and. Yeah, I, I, and I like I don't I don't really want to undersell it. This is like he's the type of guy when you watch, he absolutely has my attention as as much as like a guy, like you know as much as like Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson did four years ago. Dead serious. I agree. As we talk more about the offense, we'll get into some other guys because he's not the only one. They have they have a lot of good skill guys. Yeah, Jacob <laughs> Cowing is really good too. He was a guy that it was. Honestly, like Jacob Cowling is a dude. It's like it's it's honestly not really acceptable that he didn't end up in Norman from the transfer portal last season. So or two years ago, um, it's just stuff like that. You just can't let can't let dudes like that get away. Yeah, Cowling's their their number two receiver. He's not as explosive as McMillan, but he's got a lot of touchdowns this year, and he's their you know their Fafita's other go to guy. Uh, so I got some questions here some prompts to get us talking more. And when we're talking about the Oklahoma defense against Arizona's offense, it's been, as we all know, four plus weeks since Oklahoma's last game. And you kind of already hinted at this a little bit, but with all the time off, is it reasonable to expect Oklahoma's defense in this game against Arizona to look more like it did through the first six or seven games for six or seven weeks of the season when Oklahoma's defense was really, really good. And I say six to seven because even though that UCF game was close. I mean, Oklahoma's defense still was really good in that game, especially in the first half. And all of a sudden, after that, obviously starting with Kansas, uh, it, was, it was not nearly as good. So 
now with all that time off, you mentioned Danny Stutzman. Should we be going into this game expecting Oklahoma's defense to play like it did the first first half of the year? Should it be an, like an expectation? I don't know if I want to go that far. Like I would, I'd caution people. I, I'd be I'd be more pe- like I'd tell people more to go into this game with just like yeah, they're just playing with house money. But like it's I think it's reasonable to to have hope that they're going to look like the defense did in the first half of the season. Just because of that time off, the amount of time they're going to have to study this study this offense, um, and just their general health is, is going to be that much better as well. So, um, I think you know, I a lot of us just sort of you know there was obviously like a lot of different things that sort of went wrong in the second half of the year on defense, but I think everybody agrees that one of the chief reasons was that just the defensive line organically did not affect the pocket enough with the quarterback, and that obviously contributed to. The secondary not playing well in the second half of the year so that's it right there I mean if you can make Fafita uncomfortable you're going to give yourself a much better chance because you know he's still a freshman he's he's still a freshman and he's still this is still what his his like seventh start or something like that or is his ninth start uh ninth he is ninth start there's six and, so, two and he's also starting. he's also I mean he's he's a small guy too so it makes me wonder it's like you know are they are, this week, are they practicing, getting their hands up, like stuff like that? Watch out for Trace Ford like that, too. That's kind of one of his bits is that he's really good at getting his hand up and, and batting down passes. And, and Fafita's a small dude. So, um, I don't know. It's, um, I, think, I think OU is in a position to play as well as they have all year in this game. It's just, it's just whether, or not, um, whether or not it actually is true that it was a health thing in the second half of the year. Um, and I'm hoping that it was. Yeah, I think, I think the fact that there's all this time off, just that's the way it is in bowl season, that gives you, I think, the right to think there's more of a, a chance that it'll look like it did in the first half uh, as opposed to just kind of what it was at the end of the year. And I think that it's – I mean, if Danny Stutzman really is closer to 100%, I mean, he had an ankle thing, and he couldn't even play in that next game. And, I mean, those types of injuries do take a while to, to heal. And I don't even know if – four weeks you know after tcu is gonna i mean it'll be better but how much better i don't know i mean we'll be able to tell by how he's moving and stuff but i think stutzman if he is 100 you know close 100 percent and moving around really well that bodes really well and then back to gentry williams if gentry williams is good to go and isn't pulling his groin or messing up his shoulder or leaving for large stretches of time and can play decent amount because i think oklahoma's defense has played its best whenever those two guys play a lot and and play well and so uh Arizona's running game you mentioned how the defensive line also kind of just didn't do a whole lot after Texas what if I mean this is the first time since the Texas game that Oklahoma has been an underdog and Oklahoma's defensive line was great against Texas they it's almost like they they answered the call they the stakes are super high and they have showed up and they got a bunch of organic pressure on Quinn Ewers more than they've ever gotten all season long eh, with the exception of maybe the Tulsa game but like in a real game so maybe being an underdog and kind of being slighted a bit and all this time off and some health, maybe that would add or, or yeah, I guess, lead to more pressures to get Fafita uncomfortable. The guy's good at not taking sacks, though. They don't give up a lot of sacks. And he doesn't turn the ball over that much either. So even though he's a redshirt freshman, he's kind of unflappable back there. And uh, it's, you know, passing is his strength, and he's so good at keeping things on schedule. So this out out to you since the secondary is going to be such a big factor in this game because 
Fafita's ability to pass and the, the pass catchers he's got. What about safety? So, I mean, I've already talked about Gentry Williams. I'd love to see him. Hopefully he's good to go. And obviously you got Woody on the other side. We know Billy Bowman's there. Key Lawrence opted, you know, he's going to the transfer portal. I don't think Key's playing in this game. Not that he was really starting much. Reggie Pearson's going to the NFL. I I guess Pearson's going to play. I haven't seen that he's going to opt out. Do you, so I guess Pearson's was, um, probably going to no, play. No, he's not opted out. There was a uh, they did release a depth chart for the game, and and Pearson is at the top of the depth chart. So he'll 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 okay. start probably, and then he'll start and then probably give way to Robert Spears Jennings, as it's kind of been in the last quarter of the season. So where does Peyton Bowen fit in there, and is he even is he even healthy? Because I'm not even sure what his he's his, on the depth chart was on the depth chart. He's backing up Billy. So the there was only there was only a two deep for the safety position in this game, and it was Billy and Pearson and Bowman and uh, I'm sorry and uh, Bowen and Spears Jennings. Okay, so okay, I mean, I know we've already kind of railed on this, not that much this season, but what was the mentality of having Bowen be behind the same position as as Billy Bowman? I, why, why are we not trying to find ways to get both those guys on the field at the same time? Was that just a 2023 thing, hopefully? I hope so. I hope so. But, but also, we, I don't want to... It's, it's a good problem to have because like, I also want Robert Spears Jennings to be a thing, too. Like this, That dude, he was, a, he was a blue chip guy that everybody wanted, too. I mean, this is, that dude was like the MVP of, the, of like that Under Armour All-American game with like a bunch of other blue chip guys. Like he's, he can play. He's really good. Yeah, and, and I agree with you. I suppose maybe what I'm I'm getting at without even really getting to it, and it's probably unfair, but then you throw in there's a fifth defensive back spot that Kendall Dolby has been taking up for much of the last part of the season. And I mean again, we I like Dolby, but I like other guys more than him. And it makes you think, why can't like can we get other guys in this spot? Like maybe Dolby's a better corner. I don't know. Uh, maybe like Peyton Bowen, maybe he's a good cheetah. Maybe Robert Spears Jennings can play cheetah. I but, I mean, it's not going to happen right now because they've decided on these positions well back in August, I'm sure. So I'm curious to see how this kind of plays out for 2024. It's just, I mean, there's certain, I, I want to see, like, see RSJ, Peyton Bowen, and Billy Bowman all on the field at the same time. My dream scenario is that next season they can finally get some sort of personnel grouping that, that works with the you know, with the Iowa State umbrella coverage with the three safeties, like, in the middle of the field. And, I mean, you'd love those three safeties to be Bowman, Bowen, and Spears Jennings. Like, that would be awesome. Um, But, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I, I'm sure, like, I'm sure they understand what they have back there and they want to get as many good players on the field as they can. Uh, But you got to be sort of creative in doing that. So, I'm, it's, it's going to be something to watch for sure. Like, obviously. But, like, I'm... Cause like I I want Peyton Bowen to be a thing too, and like he just whenever he's out there he just looks so smooth and like he knows what he's doing, but man Robert Spears Jennings is potentially a dude as well. So I like I'm kind of of the opinion it's like you know you want to win this game and like Reggie Pearson is like you know his fifth or sixth year of college his last college game and so of course let him ride out and you know try to end his career on a really high note. But I wouldn't be surprised. I like you know I wouldn't be upset at all if it's like I said, if, if Pearson just starts and then and then gives way to Robert Spears Jennings, who plays like 75% of the snaps. All right, next prompt. Since Noah Fafita has been Arizona's starting quarterback, 
the Arizona offense has only turned the ball over five times in eight games and never more than one time in a game. And on the flip side, Oklahoma's defense has forced 25 takeaways this season, which is tied for fourth in all of college football. The Sooners' defense has forced two or more takeaways in eight out of 12 games. I say all this to ask, will Oklahoma force two or more takeaways against Arizona, Grant? I mean, I don't know. If they do, they're going to win. I'm pretty pretty confident in saying that. But uh, it, I, it's... It's hard to know. I mean, did you did you cross reference that at all? Did you see? Did you try to look at some of the defenses that they played and see did they play any other defenses that took the ball away a lot? No, I didn't look at that. That's sharp. I mean, I suppose I think USC still t- gets a bunch of takeaways, even though the defense. Sucks. I don't think they did this year, but I, I'm not positive. But like also, the takeaway number and like I know statistically, and Bill Connolly at SP Plus has said this a lot too that. There's especially with takeaways, there's there is sort of like a flukish thing, you know, built into that stuff every now and then. Whereas like year over year, it's really hard to kind of replicate those numbers. But tell tell me if I'm wrong about this. But I didn't really feel like OU's takeaways this year were like super fluky or anything. In fact, I kind of felt like they were they missed out on a lot of other opportunities for more <laughs> takeaways. Yeah, it's and last year they got a lot of takeaways as well. And so and they always and, and right. when BV was here previously, they kind of always did too. So it's it's interesting what happens whenever you just you have better defensive coaching, you emphasize defense, and it's a lot of interceptions. But that it's also a lot of I think it's nineteen picks and I think six fumble recoveries for OU, and that's just I guess fundamentally sound. And I, I'm I'm with you. They should have probably had more. I'm looking it up. Yeah, you're right. USC only forced 14 takeaways, so that's not very good at all. Colorado had has 20, and they played Colorado, so that's not bad. But in that game, neither one of those teams turned the ball over, Colorado and Arizona. Let's see. What about Oregon State? Oregon State forced 19. So, I mean, there's a couple up here where they you – know, not as much as Oklahoma. Uh, let's see. They didn't play Cal, Cal, by the way. Leads the nation in takeaways. Wow. Pretty impressive. Going through Clemson, South Florida, UCLA, UCLA, uh, forced twenty-four, so only you know one fewer than Oklahoma, and they only turned it over one time against UCLA. So yeah, I mean they they've done a really nice job of just not turning the football over. Arizona's offense is really good. I mean that's just that's that is what it is. They seemed really well coached. They have good players. They have guys who can beat you in multiple ways. It's a it's a huge challenge. I. It's it, it is a, it's a really big break for OU that they have a potential first round left tackle who has decided not to play because that at least gives you some sort of breathing room to maybe find a guy that you can attack. Yeah, true. I mean, as much as everyone's been talking about Oklahoma's offensive line, it, it is interesting the fact that on the other side, Arizona is down their best offensive lineman at the most important position on the offensive line, and they got some younger guys. They got some transfers that will potentially fill in, but. Can't imagine it's somebody that's obviously better than the guy that's a potential first-round draft pick. Other than that, we haven't really talked much at all about Arizona's running backs. And Jonah Coleman, their main running back, averaging almost seven yards per carry, uh, really good. And I, I think Arizona's got two really solid running backs. And honestly, they might have four really good running backs. And that their running back room is so much better than Oklahoma's. <laughs> it's just... It's frustrating, man. Uh, 
Jonah Coleman is a guy that can hit home runs. He's can runs hard. Uh, but also DJ Williams, number eight. He's like kind of their big bruising back, short yardage. They'll lean on him, but he's also fast too. Michael Wiley, I believe, was their starter at the start of the season, and he got hurt. And that's when Jonah Coleman kind of took his job. And Wiley's healthy now, but he's their best pass catcher out of the backfield. So they have a ton of options at running back, and we haven't really touched on that much. And so I wanted to acknowledge that before we turn the page over to the other side of the ball. But do you agree with me that their running backs are really good? Yes, they're all really good. And uh, this is just like why you're saying this, and I'm kind of looking through this rundown here of all the guys too, and like thinking about just like implications of college football and everything and the guys that Arizona has com- coming back. Arizona's going to be the favorite to win the Big 12 in the preseason. Yeah, because, yeah, all these players are underclassmen. Uh, the Coleman guy's just a sophomore. Obviously, the elite receiver's a, uh, a sophomore. I'm not sure what cowing is. I think cowing he's a, he's a senior. He's done. Little, but, okay. um, but I, I mean, when you got the guy like McMill, I mean, they're going to have the best receiver in college football to start next year. That's your <laughs> That makes your receiver room instantly really good. And lastly, just another impact player on Arizona's offense is their tight end, Tanner McLaughlin. He's their check down guy, safety blanket, whatever you want to say. Uh, big body tight end. Looks just like a, a classic classic tight end possession guy that moves the change and he's somebody that that can hurt you as well so i mean they're dynamic in so many different ways and they also have this other running back that his name is escaping me that he might play a little bit like i think he's number 21 he's like he's like a track star he's got track speed so if he's in the game they're probably gonna try to get him the ball because he's so fast rayshon another guy yeah luke so it's just with Oklahoma's running back situation, we're going to flip the script and talk about it a little bit. It's, it's like I see all these guys as you know, the, the fourth guy, Rayshon Luke. I mean, can you imagine if Oklahoma's situation at running back was, you know, like, who's their fourth guy right now? Uh, uh, Caleb Hicks? <laughs> you know, it's like, Caleb Hicks, yeah. I mean, Im- imagine if all season long we just knew that Caleb Hicks could be a potential home run hitter and you know, if he's on the field for two or three, gets the ball two or three times a game, he might do something. Like we, Oklahoma doesn't have that. <laughs> we don't have that in the running back I mean, room. Arizona I mean, last does. year, Gavin Sachuk was like the number five guy the entire season. Steps on the field in the bowl game, and it's like, oh wow, that guy's their best player in that room. Yeah, great. Speaking of the offense, speaking of Gavin Sachuk, let's flip the script. So let's talk about Oklahoma's offense against Arizona's defense. And I'll ask you this question, Grant. By your metrics, what do you think? How does Arizona's defense compare to the other defenses that Oklahoma has seen so far this season? I think their they, raw numbers are probably a little bit deceiving. They're probably not as good as their, as their raw numbers suggest. Well, I mean, I suppose they're, they're 44th in the country in yards per play allowed, and um, that's there and they're 45th of in, in defensive sp plus so that's that's probably pretty um pretty indicative of where they are they're fine i i think they're solid they're um but they're also not when i watched them and i only watched two full games there was no one really on their defense who i watched and it was just like oh wow that guy is is something um they didn't make a ton of mistakes they didn't really ever get shredded or anything like that um but i kind of come away from watching them that if Dylan Gabriel was the quarterback, they would come into this game, and they might still just do this with Jackson Arnold, and I hope they do. 
they probably just would have come into this game thinking to themselves, yeah, let's let's throw it forty times and let's let's huck bombs. And I and I think that's yeah, probably going to be a big part of OU's offensive game plan. Yeah, I, I agree. It should be because that's much like Oklahoma. That's Arizona's weakness is in the secondary through the air. You can pass on them, and their their pass defense numbers aren't aren't as bad as Oklahoma's, but it's it's where they're. it's where they struggle and i'd say texas has a better defense of course than arizona statistically iowa state's defense might be better depending on the metric i just oklahoma just shredded iowa state but they had a lot of success against other Uh, teams i I, iowa state's a lot better on defense than arizona i'm iowa state's the second best defense OU played this year i don't know I, i think arizona's pretty solid like they but then again they did give up way too much against USC and in an advantageous game in which Arizona was up 17 to nothing they were up they they were forcing USC to chase and still allowed USC to come back and they were in uncomfortable spots and they still lost that game so that's not a good sign that they were able you know that they weren't able to just clamp down and uh, make Caleb Williams look kind of like how Caleb Williams looks sometimes whenever you rush three and drop eight and he holds the ball too long and there was some of that in that game but he ended up making a lot of plays so uh, and also you know maybe SMU's defense too. It's a G five SMU. Team, you know, so it's that's that's the answer. That SMU is the closest to Arizona in terms of quality. And SMU had a good defense. They were they they led the American in like every defensive category. And so like when when they played SMU this year, and SMU had quite a bit of success, especially stopping OU's run in that first game. Um, it's not it it played out. SMU had had a very good group of five defense this year. So um, I, I I think. Arizona and SMU on the defensive side of the ball is is a pretty fair comparison. SMU might be a little better, actually. Well, where where uh, we could see it play out similarly to the SMU game, and you mentioned how good they were at stopping Oklahoma's run game, that's Arizona's strength. And they've done really well against the run, only allowing 111 yards per game on the ground and under three and a half yards per carry, which is that's really good. I mean, that's that's good run defense. And so it kind of factors in with, okay, well, their weaknesses through the air Oklahoma hopefully can exploit that Arizona secondary and both Oklahoma and Arizona defensively gives up a bunch of explosive pass plays and that kind of gets back to what you were saying a moment ago where you hope that even with uh, Dylan Gabriel out and Jackson Arnold in that Oklahoma can huck bombs and get chunk plays through the air Arizona has allowed 44 pass plays of 20 or more yards this year and Oklahoma has allowed 43, so it's almost dead even. And we've seen how Oklahoma's defense through the air, we've seen teams get chunk plays on them. And we're, look at their numbers. Like, oh, man, basically that's what Arizona is too. So they can be had, and that's a spot where Oklahoma hopefully can take advantage of it. Yeah, Next, yeah uh, we'll see. So, and they're, um, I know, like, I know um, on the defensive line, Arizona is not, I guess, no, we're, I'm sorry, we're not, we're, we're not talking about Arizona's um, well, I wish we are. We're kind of jumping back and forth, aren't we? So I know Arizona, the defensive line is not extraordinarily strong. Um, they do. They're you know they're leading sack guys. Got eight and a half sacks. He's kind of a stand up rusher, like sort of edge guy. Um, and then you know their other guy, Jacob Manu, who is like he he is like their best player on defense. He's a sophomore linebacker. I think he was a he's a transfer from Georgia. And uh, he's but he's got six and a half sacks. And and you kind of he's sort of a smaller guy and he runs pretty well. Um, but I don't, Arizona's defense, like defensive line, I don't think is going to pose a ton of issues for Oklahoma, even with a couple of guys out on the offensive line. 
if if Arizona makes Jackson Arnold uncomfortable, it's probably going to be with blitzes. And um, which I mean, Jackson Arnold, it's his first start ever. So yeah, I'm sure they're probably going to throw a bunch of crap at him. Yeah, I agree with that. And you mentioned how not anybody really jumps out at you as like, man, this guy's really good defensively. And, and it would be that Manu guy you mentioned. He's their best player. Most tackle, six and a half sacks. I noticed that against Washington when they were trying to adjust and trying to slow down Penix and Washington's offense, he was the guy. I mean, he'd spy Penix and you know, they'd rush three, drop eight. They just they just didn't do very well. I mean, it was actually a pretty decent strategy, but they just they couldn't cover. And I just I don't get how you can't cover when you have eight guys dropping. They only have what max five players going out for a route. And they still they couldn't figure it out. So they could not figure out Zach Penix. That was a game where Penix kind of just did whatever he wanted through the air. There was maybe two drives where he looked kind of uncomfortable. That was a super and, interesting game because Washington only scored 31 points. But they like, they still sort of, like their drive efficiency was really good. They had like a, they had a ma- they had massive like ball control offense in that game. I'm pretty sure they scored a touchdown on their first four drives. And like it, like that that actually went into like the third quarter. Yeah, the game went by really fast. Uh they it was 14 nothing I think after the first quarter. And I get that this is kind of do this for a lot of games and maybe it's the same thing, but take away the first quarter of that game and Arizona might win. I mean, that it was so one-sided in the first quarter. Arizona was not ready. Fafita looked kind of nervous. He was clearly not settled in. It was his first start against Washington. After the first quarter, he looked a lot more comfortable as the game went on. And through the last three quarters, Washington, Washington, Arizona outscored Washington by a touchdown, but they never got within, you know, they never had you know, the football with a chance to tie the game. Well, Washington always had them at at least a couple of scores in that game. So good situation where Washington kind of just good road win, kept them at arm's length and moved on to the next one. Next question I have here, let's move it over. Let's talk about Jackson Arnold. So uh, the question that we all want to know, and we have no idea if it's going to happen until we see it, is Jackson Arnold, is he going to be able to keep Oklahoma's offense on schedule, much like Dylan Gabriel did, even though this is going to be Jackson Arnold's first career start? What are your gut feelings on that, Grant? I mean, my, my gut feeling is that he's going to show up and he's going to play well. And of course, we're talking about just gut feelings here, so I mean, I, I, mean, I don't know, but I'm... I'm expecting him to look good. I mean, this is a guy who, especially after getting all the reps at practice, we know what he can do. I mean, he's shown flashes of what he's of capable this year. And we already know, like, we already know it's a very QB-friendly offense. I think they're going to have a good game plan. Like, we've already talked about this, especially in the last one. It's Seth Luttrell is a stud, man. He's a really good offensive coordinator. And um, I would imagine that him and Joe John Finley are probably taking this game really seriously, as they should. And so I, I think they are going to have what they feel is probably a really good plan, especially for someone like Jackson. And um, I mean, that's the hook of this game. I mean, this is why you're excited to watch it for sure. It's kind of it's 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 the ultimate playing with house money type thing, because man, if even even in the worst case scenario, let's say OU does not play well in this game, and and Arizona has their huge like momentum season defining win, and nobody in the country is going to remember that game at all, except for Arizona and Oklahoma fans. It's really not going to mean anything, especially now. No one really thinks about these things, you know, that much anymore after they've, 
you know, the day after they've ended. But just think, I mean, if Jackson Arnold comes out and lights it up, man, just think how much more fun the next like seven months are going to be waiting for the season to start. Yeah, but how much all the expectations that, you know, they're already high. And then if he comes out and looks really good, boy, that's going to put a lot on him. Even kids. if he looks really bad, it's a bowl game. It doesn't really matter. Well, it'll matter if he looks like, well, like overwhelmed. I was say this like, the, yeah, I mean, if he looks like Davis Bevel, who, by the way, is in the portal. I was going to say that to the end, but old Davis, but you he's, he's going to be portaling. But you have hope and you have faith that the coaching staff would only be comfortable with moving on from Dylan Gabriel because they, they knew what they had. I mean, Jackson Arnold has been there since this time last year. You'd think they know what they have at this point. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. And I share your thoughts. I mean, I think, yeah, you know, like most of you, like I mean, I'm a big Jackson Arnold believer, and you know, I'm someone who thinks that if Dylan Gabriel magically had been unavailable to play this year from week one on, that I think Jackson Arnold could have stepped in, you know, barring injury, and I think OU would have had the same odds to do exactly what they did, go like ten and two, and played really well. And so. About 90% of my confidence in Jackson Arnold comes from how he looked early in this season when he was playing in garbage time. I think his arm looked great. He had good touch with his passes, had good rapport with some of his teammates, great ball placement. He just looked relaxed. Uh, we know he's mobile. And I say the other 10% of my confidence just kind of comes from him being a five-star prospect, lots of potential. And saying all that, though, after saying that, I will say, and I touched on this a little bit afterwards, I am. I want to acknowledge that I, I was disappointed by his play in that BYU game coming in after halftime. I would have liked to see a player with his type of promise come into that game against a bad BYU defense and kind of take over. And he didn't do that. And he made a couple of nice plays, but I think overall, in my opinion, he was pretty underwhelming in that, in that game you know, after being thrown in there. And, for example, we saw Caleb Williams, everyone remembers, he jumped in against OU uh, at OU Texas in that environment and won the game for the Sooners as a true freshman. And Caleb also, was also a five-star elite prospect like Jackson Arnold. That being said, Caleb Williams now, as we know, is probably going to be the number one pick in the draft, even though he had a little bit of sketchy play this year. And there's going to be a little bit of a question mark there at the top between him and Drake May. Uh, but before that, I mean, he was looked at as the best quarterback prospect coming out since Andrew Luck. So, I mean, that's quite, quite a bar to get to. So I think it's very good that Oklahoma's had a month to prep for this game for Jackson Arnold. And it's been a healthy amount of time for him and Seth Luttrell to get together and Joe John Finley to get together because Joe John's very important, obviously, in this equation to – continue that uh, that Jeff Lebby offense through because we know Seth Luttrell's offense is not being installed right now and so I think the three of those hopefully in this month off mixed with his teammates they've put together a good game plan and you know Seth Luttrell's going to want to come out and, and look good in his first time being on the coaching staff and Joe John Finley with a little bit of an elevated role and obviously you got Brent Venables who I think with time to prepare Brent Venables is pretty good as well formulating a game plan so all of that goes into it where I think uh, there's a pretty darn good chance that Jackson Arnold plays pretty well. Yeah, I mean, you already know my thoughts. I thought that Arnold did a good job at, in Provo. Um, I, don't, I don't know if I'd compare that to 
literally like a legendary performance from Caleb Williams. I don't know if that's if that's really fair. I thought the circumstances at BYU were very weird. And I thought to the extent that he was allowed to do things, I thought he did a really good job. And um and I've said it numerous times. He made he made like three plays on the last drive of the game that won them the game and that didn't give the ball back to BYU. And so I was very, very happy with that. And like we've we've seen his arm talent. We've seen the throws he's able to make. And uh so like that just doesn't doesn't bug me as much. Um yeah, I'm 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 starting to think that he that he plays well. He's at least gonna be ready. Um and there's I mean, OU's receivers give me a lot of confidence. I just I think I think OU's receivers are really, really tough to cover. Um and they just they present they have they, they present matchup issues. Uh, that just have to do with they they're all really different players. I mean, Jaden Gibson and Nick Anderson are pretty similar players. Um I guess Jaden Gibson is kind of more of a run run down the field guy, whereas Nick Anderson can get you quite a bit of yak. And then you got, you know, Drake Stoops, who's your kind of prototypical slot receiver and fruit sort of does it all, who's kinda of like a bulldog and is sort of thicker but also has some moves. And so I'm uh I I got a lot of confidence that OU is going to have guys open in this game. And uh, I, I just, I, I sort of just trust this offense and it, how it, how it operates in the terms of just scheming guys open. That's the whole point of it. So, um, I think Jackson Arnold is going to be really good. I, you kind of have it here in the in the rundown where where it gets interesting is, you know, how much do they utilize him in the run game? Whereas, like, I yeah, think, and that's whereas, like, I, you know, when you watch Jackson Arnold, like, and go watch his high school, he's he's more of a guy who is. He's got good straight line speed, whereas Dylan Gabriel was more was just kind of more of a shifty guy and could kind of make you miss in a phone booth, but didn't have pull away speed. Jackson Arnold, like in like a one hundred yard dash, would dust Dylan Gabriel. Um, I'm curious to see which which like which makes me think that Jackson Arnold is maybe is maybe actually better as a scrambler, as like in in, in that terms. But uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll see if they have. Any sort of schemed up stuff. I mean, like when they were running the stupid, you know, jackhammer or whatever we wanted to call it earlier this year. It seemed like they were just kind of running like variations of like outside zone with him, and I just I don't I don't like that. But I guess the I guess yeah, the real- logic there is like maybe because like outside zone a lot of time is like one cut and then get north and south. But I I'm more like Jackson Arnold. Like man, no, I where I could see him, you know, running for thirty yards and a touchdown is if the two defensive ends rush too far upfield and he, they get behind well, him yeah. and then he's... Yeah, that's that's where he's going to do most of his damage in college, I think. Yeah, the... Gosh, it seems like a million years ago, but we were always criticizing that entire package because they were utilizing Jackson Arnold like he was Blake Bell and a guy that is not... Or like a Tim Tebow early in his career where... Not particularly afraid of this dude's arm. Like, this dude's not very good at throwing the ball, so we know he's going to run it. And we know that Jackson Arnold can throw, and he's a very good throw of the football. And that's, that's the issue. I mean, he, his running game can be accentuated because defenses have to respect his arm. Very similar to why up until kind of right now in the NFL season and his career, why Jalen Hurts has been so good. Because he was able to, much to the shock of me, become a pretty good passer and teams would have to respect that part of his game, and then that would obviously open up the, his elite running skills so much, and he was able to be even that more dynamic. And Jackson Arnold's a guy where he's a pass-first player, you would anticipate, 
But then when the defense has to respect that, then yeah, you can you can call more quarterback draws or like run plays where he can get out and show off that speed. And so that's that's why it was so frustrating the way they were using him early on. Like he was just you knew what he was going to do when he came in there. He was going to run it. And I get that there's an extra guy and it's tougher to defend. But if the defense basically can guess they're going to run it with him, it's not as hard. And he didn't have that much success with it. And he took a bunch of hits for no reason early on in the season, which was dumb. So, and I will say, I, I do think it is fair to compare Jackson Arnold coming in against BYU to Caleb Williams because let's flip it. If, if Caleb Williams was a true freshman and he came into that BYU situation in that game, I think he would have probably dominated and took over that game. It wouldn't have been close because Caleb Williams is really good. And so I, no, I, I use I it just... Let's, please, let's not forget just the, the unacceptable field conditions in that game, which obviously added to its weirdness. Sure. Um, the weather, it being in the mountains, it was like drizzling the entire game. Like all this stuff matters. Jeff, like we already had enough, like enough evidence from earlier in the season that if it's kind of, kind of chilly and damp, that Jeff Lebby kind of does weird things. Like it's and you know, add on the fact that it's the second half of the game and you got to throw in a true freshman now and I don't know. It's I, I just don't think it's an apples to apples comparison. And it may not be. I, I think those are fair things to bring up as well. Uh, Caleb Williams had Lincoln Riley calling plays for him, and Jackson Arnold had Jeff Lebby, who, to that point, we he's a, a really good offensive coordinator, but there's enough there where we have criticized and where he makes our scratch our head. So, yeah, how much of that factor into it? I think that's a fair question to ask. I just I think it's, it's a debate worth having. And, you know, we saw how good Caleb Williams was in that game, and it turns out he also is really good. I'm just saying, like, there's other five-star quarterbacks that have not panned out when you see them kind of right away, and you're like, oh, I don't know. This, this guy's not that good, and they've kind of turned out to be not that good. The two that come to mind right away are <laughs> the recent Clemson guys. DJU, who's just, eh, like he's been okay. And then Cade Klubnik, who's, I think his first kind of action last year, he was like, oh, this guy's pretty good, but it comes down to it. Like, oh, he's not particularly great, which is crazy considering that I thought that entire offense would take off with Garrett Riley calling plays, and it was just still a kind of a Clemson offense this year. But So that's my – and it's one half of football, and we saw some good stuff from Jackson before that. So I'm not saying it's over. I'm just saying it's a, it's a bullet point. It's a data point of, like, I wanted it to be better. It was fine to me. It was a little underwhelming. Yeah, I know he made some okay plays at the end of that game to help OU win. I would have preferred it not to get to that point anyways. I would have preferred them to kind of run away with it and – I think he could have played better. Maybe they wouldn't have been in that position to begin with. But now, Jeff Levy is gone. Seth Luttrell's in. We've got four-plus weeks to prepare. He knows he's been going to be the starter this entire time. It's going to be in a dome. This is all the ingredients for Jackson Arnold to – we can finally – okay, this is a great spot for him in his first career start. So that's why you got to have and a, it's also a lot gonna of be, enthusiasm. And I, I guess I don't know. Maybe I'm speaking out of turn here. Maybe too, but, like, it's also probably going to be, like – I don't know, like, wasn't the Oregon Alamo Bowl, like, I mean, wasn't it, like, 90-10 OU fans? And, like, I mean, this is going to be, like... There's a lot of OU fans there, yeah. It's gonna, this is going to be, like, a 70-30 situation, probably. There's a lot. Of, there's going to be a lot of OU fans there. It's, gonna, it's, like, it's not going to be a home game, because there's going to be enough Arizona fans there. I mean, it's a, it's a big state school, and relatively speaking, it's, like, I guess it's not terribly far from San Antonio, or San Antonio is not from Tucson. So, but no, I mean, OU is going to have a crowd advantage in that game. 
the, the crowd that he dealt with at BYU is going to be more intense than the one he deals with on Thursday night. The nice BYU crowd that gives out ice cream to opposing fan bases? Oh, man, what are you talking about? They were, uh, yeah, it'll be a lot more conducive. Let's talk about the running backs. And it's been uh, just an incredibly fun topic all season long. <laughs> and I don't know what we're going to get in this game. What do you think? Uh, is, is the running back situation going to be cut and dry, basically what we've seen the last three, four games of the year? Or are we going to get a bunch of shenanigans here? Right? What, what, is your, what is your gut feeling on that? Uh, we're, it's going to be Sachuk and Tawi. Uh, the depth chart says Sachuk or Tawi at the top. Is there anybody else on it? It's just too deep. Uh, Javante Barnes and Caleb Hicks are on there too, but they don't have oars. Okay, okay. So I was I was wondering if Marcus Major was healthy enough to play, but apparently no. So, so Mar- Marcus Major no, and I. <laughs> my other question was going to be if Javante Barnes is healthy, would they even play him anyways? <laughs> I don't know. So okay, that's good. I I hope I, it's going to be. Certain. Just- I, I bet Javante Barnes is on the field for a snap. The over under of over. Over under half a snap for Javante Barnes. Pretty comfortable with the over there. Yeah, probably. I mean, considering that Smothers is gone and Major obviously is still not there. How about this, though? If it's not Gavin or Tawi in there, why not give Caleb Hicks some run? Let's see what we got in Caleb Hicks. I mean, we saw Sawchuk break out last year in the bowl game. Caleb Hicks hasn't played since Arkansas State. What if, what if Caleb Hicks is good? I mean, Dalen Smothers was obviously getting snaps over him all year. Uh, we learned last year in the, in the bowl game that even though Javante Barnes is getting a bunch of snaps, it should have been Gavin Sacha getting those snaps and not him all season long. What if we see Caleb Hicks and we think he actually looks good? What, how insane would that be if Caleb Hicks is the third running back or, heck, even maybe somehow the second running back? I don't know because they decide to get crazy. And Caleb Hicks looks so much better than... Yeah, I know, I know what you're saying. Major, I know what you're saying. Yeah. Like, yeah. No, it would. Like, yeah, if, if Caleb Hicks gets run in this game and he looks like any semblance of a dude, yeah, man, it's just, I mean, it's just, it's going to add fuel to the fire on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. All right. Well, what else is on your mind in this matchup? OU's offense against Arizona's defense. Anything else you've missed we haven't touched on? No, I mean, I'm more of just like, um, and, I, and I'm sure once the game kicks off, I'm sure I'll be fully in, like, intense OU football mode. But feeling pretty sanguine about this game, just in, in terms of, you know, I mean, not too high or not too low. It's like, I hope they win, and I hope it's a, it's a fun game that gives us something to get excited about for, for next year. But, you know, I mean, if, if that's not what happens, if they come out and it's not doesn't go the way that we want, it's going to be okay. Arizona's really good. They're really, really good, and um, the kind of the bowl matchups this year didn't really do them a lot of favors but I think the way that you have to look at this game is that it's an opportunity to play a, a team that is every bit as good you know as a, as a New Year six team that, that you would be playing anyway and so the only thing that's different is just the the name of the bowl game and where you're playing it and so a good coaching staff can get a team up for this game because I, I don't Arizona is going to be up for this game they're gonna be super fired up for this game and um but that also maybe gives OU a little bit of daylight there because this is a situation that all those Arizona guys has theoretically never been in before. And uh, and I know it's the Alamo Bowl or whatever, but this is still OU, man. What if the moment is too big? That absolutely is in play for a team like Arizona. 
Yeah, interesting, yeah. And also, right, like, so, I... Well, I mean, watch the game. If, if, OU, if OU wins this game, like, obviously, you'd like to think it's because Jackson Arnold plays well, and I think that will be a big part of it. But if, if OU wins this game, it's going to be because OU's defensive line gives Arizona's offense problems. That's, like, that's basically the window for winning this game, I think. Yeah, probably, but, I mean, the problem with that statement is that you could say that probably about literally every single game. I mean, is if the defensive line gives the opposing offense problems, then you're probably going to win every time, unless you just make a ton of dumb mistakes. Before we wrap it up, and we'll talk about the playoff here, because we didn't talk about the playoff in the last episode. We'll finish up with some playoff talk for anybody that cares about that. Let's do some gut feelings, and I'll start. And so my gut feeling is... I think Oklahoma plays well. I think Oklahoma wins, but I also kind of th- I think Arizona's going to play well too. And it's they're a really good team. They're hot, six in a row. Jed Fish is a really good coach. It's pretty clear that's the case. They're going to have some haymakers. I, man, it's so so lame to think that because I, I one I I hate score predictions. It's stupid, but I'm going to probably do it right here. I think OU is going to win the game, but they're going to probably win it close. And I, I'm real confident in just the preparation. Lots of time to prepare. I think Brent Venables will get the guys going. Last year in a game where Oklahoma was 6-6 six and six against a good Florida State team, a Florida State team that should be in the playoff right now this season. I mean, a little bit different, but a good Florida State team. Brent Venables had them ready to go. They, OU was winning at halftime. And the game ended up playing out kind of pretty much the way all the OU games played out last year where they had a great chance to win it, but Oklahoma did not make plays in the end and uh, their defense let them down. I think in this situation, this bowl game, I'll take the narrative of it. I'll take the narrative of 2023, the thought that Oklahoma, we came in, you and I came into this season very skeptical of Brent Venables, the way this season was going to play out. And Brent Venables and the, the coaching staff and the players, I guess, proved us wrong in a way because they went over their season win total. It was nine and a half. They won 10 games. Uh, we both thought it'd be under. We were both kind of like, I don't know. Well, let's, let's kind of wait and see. It's frustrating because, as we all know, Oklahoma was 7-0 and and had the potential to make a playoff run and then threw it in the garbage can. But overall, it's a good season, and there was some improvement. And so... The way the last year's bowl game went, Oklahoma lost by a field goal to Florida State, a good Florida State team, in a game they should have won. So a lot of improvement in the regular season this year, despite a couple of hiccups or middle of the season. I'm going to go ahead and take that narrative of Oklahoma taking that improvement into the bowl game against a good Arizona team, a really good Arizona team, and getting over the hump after Brent Venables gets them ready to go. And there'll be some hiccups in this game. They'll make some mistakes. But in the end, I think instead of losing a close game, OU will win a, a close game by you know, a field goal and probably a high scoring, something like, I don't know, 35, 31. Uh, I'd, I'd like to see more points than that, honestly, against this Arizona defense. But this Arizona team's played well. And so that's kind of where my gut feeling is, is that it's going to be somewhat high scoring. OU wins it close. Yeah, you know, I mean, we're just talking about gut here. Just this is just all feel. It's not, you're not really calling your shot or anything. Uh, my gut feeling is oddly, and I mean, this is just what it is as of Monday night recording it. Oddly is that OU is going to kind of keep him at arm's length and win sort of comfortably. Um, I 
like kind of something like 37 to 28 or something like that with Arizona scoring late to make it a little closer. Um, that's just a feel. Um, my feeling is that Noah Fafita is really going to struggle in this game. And only just because he's due to struggle and he's not explosive enough um, without help from his receivers and yak to be a guy who is like that you're that terrified of in this game. That's just the feel. That's just the gut feeling right now. Um, I, th- I, I think he's going to give it to OU a couple of times and make some bad decisions. I hope he does, man. But I think Ola Fafita is really good. I, he, I I think he's good too. I think to he's me, good too. This he is might not be, a. It's, I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, I think Quinn Ewers is really good. But I mean, OU turned him over a bunch. But after, aside from the turnovers, Quinn Ewers got his against OU secondary in that game. They have quarterbacks Oklahoma's face. I mean, Fafita's definitely like next to Ewers the best one uh, that they've seen this year. And it's a Oklahoma secondary that when they're challenged by good quarterbacks, I can that understand. What they're trying to do offensively, good offensive coach in Jed Fish, that teams can exploit Oklahoma secondary. And so if he gives it to Oklahoma and turns it over a couple times and kind of looks rattled a little bit, that will, will be one, kind of what, in a way, if you're going to look at the crimson colored glasses and what we hope to see as Oklahoma moves into 2024, especially with Brent Venables going into year three, that's what should happen with Brent Venables being your head coach, right? You're against these good quarterbacks even when you got this time to prepare yeah they'll get they'll get some here and there because Brent Venables defense do give up big plays even even the really good Brent Venables defense in Clemson but also more often than not they make quarterbacks uncomfortable and they force quarterbacks to do things they don't want to do and as time goes on that's kind of what you hope to expect from a Brent Venables defense and so if we start seeing that play out more just like how they made Quinn Ewers uncomfortable a lot of that game and he turned it over uh, you know three times if we see that against this Arizona team that's playing so well with all this time to prepare, boy, that'll that'll even fuel the fire more going into 2024 of like, okay, this defense and Brent Venables is kind of starting to figure it out and can't wait to see what happens in the SEC, even though it's going to be <laughs> the, the biggest challenge that this school has had maybe ever uh, in the regular season. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, yeah, I suppose that's what it is. I, I, I expect OU to, to have scouted Fafita really well. And I, I expect especially the first, second quarter of this game. Uh, it's not my expectation. It's my gut feel um, that if, if Arizona is going to struggle, it's going to be like in the first half of the game. And so, like, maybe look out for something like OU to be leading like 24 to like 7 at halftime or something. We're all feeling great. And then maybe in the second half, Arizona starts to put together like long drives and makes it. So it's like, oh, man, they kind of figured it out and put it together. But OU is able to, you know, keep them at arm's length. And so I guess, and, and sort of like the intellectual reason too that I, that I think this is, I, I, Arizona's left tackle opting out, I think is a big deal. I think it's a big deal. I, I think OU is, has, a, has a distinct advantage in the trenches in this game, even with OU's opt-outs on the offensive line. I think OU is, is decidedly better than Arizona on both lines of scrimmage. And you look at Arizona's schedule, yes, they've won six in a row, and the best team they've beaten in this streak is probably Oregon State, and it was close. It's definitely, I, I guess Oregon I was wrong. Definitely, I was Oregon wrong State. earlier. I, I said Colorado pushed them. Oregon State, it was close in that game. It was only a field goal. So, and Oregon State's a good team. I, I don't know. I mean, I think that that was kind of still kind of at the beginning of Fafita taking over. Granted, it was in Tucson, but uh, they you know they destroyed Washington State. 
kind of a letdown. Well, Oregon State was ranked number 11 at the time, so maybe it was a bit of a letdownish spot against Oregon State. Still won the football game. And after that, they beat UCLA real, you know, handily. UCLA, uh, man, like defense was solid, but their offense could not be, fi- you know, couldn't figure out their offense this year. Neither could Utah. Uh, Colorado pushed Arizona a decent amount, and that was probably Colorado's last hurrah, really. I say all this to say, I mean, this is definitely the best team that they've seen uh, during this winning streak. Obviously, Washington's the best team they played this year. Uh, they didn't see Oregon. Yeah, this and is so, also. Uh, this is also the second best team that Arizona's played this year. Yeah. Yeah. And man, USC just turned out to be not particularly good. All right. So last episode, we made some some bull picks. None of those games even happened yet. So we can't even grade ourselves from that. We stayed away from the playoff matchups because we knew we'd have another podcast before those games, before the bull game. And so now we'll, we'll just give a couple picks here for the playoff and I know you and I are, you know, I don't know. We're, we're, I think we have at least one crossfire here, if not two. So the, you know, the last I looked, and we use ESPN's lines, and ESPN's not always the same as everywhere. But right now in the Rose Bowl, Michigan is only a two-point favorite over Alabama. I believe that game opened at three. No, actually, I think it opened at two and a half. So it's, it's still two and a half in a lot of spots, depending on where you're looking, Vig. So basically, it's Michigan two, two and a half. We're going to grade it at Michigan minus two right now for this podcast and uh yeah we'll save the other one for for uh obviously after this so i'll start and immediately i think to me no okay number one i'll i know everyone likes these matchups and look at the the line minus two and then the other one right now is texas is favored by four and a half over washington and i okay like it's looking like these games could be two good games and that's terrific that's that's great because it seems like in this playoff, you know, if one game is good, the other one's not good. And, you know, here, so although I guess last year, both semifinal games were, were tight, though, weren't they? Yeah, because it was the Michigan TCU game. That was crazy. And then Ohio State and uh, what, Georgia? Yeah, that was actually a pretty close game. So last year, both games were pretty crazy. I don't like these matchups. I, I, wit, I don't want Washington and Texas playing because I think Washington and Texas are two teams that if they were playing other teams, can win. I don't like that th- those two teams are playing each other. Uh, Michigan, you know, I don't like the Big Ten. I, and, I, and I'm bored with Alabama. I would have loved to see, again, I said that before, I would have loved to see somehow Michigan and Florida State because I think Florida State, even without their starting quarterback, and now Florida State's just everyone's opting out, and that's a joke game against Georgia. It's like none of their good players are playing. It's, it's stupid. Now they're their backup quarterback. Rodemaker is not going to play. And so it's just what is the point? But I and there's no way of proving this. But I think with a bunch of time off, even with Rodemaker as a starting quarterback and that defense playing as well as it was, I don't know if they beat Michigan, but I think it would have it would not have been some wipeout Michigan by 30. Uh, so and I think that would have been a lot more fun to even though it had been a weird, ugly game that matchup in my opinion to me, I wanted to see that a lot more than Michigan and Alabama. And then on the flip side, let's see, I, I know what, what would we have said. So Washington, we would have liked to see Washington as number one, which would have then made what, I guess it uh, would Texas, Texas would have been four then. Right. Cause so we'd still no, get the it should, Washington. It should just be flipped. It should be, it should be Washington versus Alabama and Michigan versus Texas. Washington, Alabama, either, either way. I mean, if it was Washington, Michigan, or Bama, we've already seen Bama, Texas. So I just I I don't I don't like this matchup because of that. Because I think Washington and Texas, 
I think are the, are the two best teams in this. And I think they're playing each other because they're, they're the most dynamic on offense. I think Washington's defense is bad, so we'll see how that plays out. But Texas is really dynamic on offense, really good on defense. And I think Michigan and Alabama are just so similar in the, in the way they play. So when we're talking Michigan and Alabama, I, I want, this is so boring. I want them to both lose. I don't, I don't like either one of these teams. I'm on Alabama simply because they found a way to beat a Georgia team that I was wrong about. I thought Georgia was still a world beater. They're not. And maybe it was just a bad matchup for Georgia in that game, but still, Alabama's relative to the way they've been. We've said it a million times. They're down this year. Jalen Milrose, not a particularly good quarterback, in my opinion, but yet he could figure it out against Georgia. Go figure. Alabama's defense is still really good. And Alabama's defense is going against a Michigan offense that I guess Michigan's offense has played against good defenses this season a lot, so they're going to be maybe used to it. Alabama's, though, going to be licking their lips against this Michigan offense that I think is just fine. It's not... And so it could be a low-scoring game. I'm going to take Nick Saban in Michigan being able to figure out offensively with – even with Milrow, kind of he's kind of got dynamic legs and stuff. Maybe he'll be able to run around and hit some big plays. I'll take Alabama plus the two. But I don't like the matchup. I, I, I don't like this game. It's boring. It sucks. I'm going to watch it, obviously. But I, I wish this wasn't the game. I wish it was something else. But I'm on Bama. Yeah, I just think it's a weird take, I think. Michigan-Alabama in the Rose Bowl is an absolute banger of a college football playoff matchup. Is an out just outstanding for lots of different reasons. And uh, I don't know my I've I've made my my views very clear on this podcast. I think Michigan toys with Alabama. I think Michigan. I I, I think this game looks a lot like Texas beating Alabama in September, um, where it's just obvious that Michigan's better when you watch them. And um, I, I want Alabama to win. I don't, I don't like Michigan outside of kind of like the big programs that I hate in college football, which include, you know, mostly Texas and LSU. Um, Michigan, probably right up there, maybe is my least favorite. And um, I, I, I want them to lose this game. But uh, I, I genuinely think that they are a better team than Alabama and uh, almost decisively so. And so I, I think Michigan is going to win this game. Uh, probably something like 27 to 13 or like 27 to 16, something like that. I just thought of this. So which Big Ten teams have made the college football playoff in history? Obviously, Michigan and Ohio State have made it. Michigan State made it one year. Is that right? Am I crazy to think that? And that's it. That's it. Okay, so Ohio State in that time, I guess I'd look back. I mean, because Michigan made it for the first was that was last year the first time they'd made it now this is year three in a row they've made it they got blown out by Georgia two years ago in the Orange Bowl and then they beat and they play TC so I guess it's the thing is where you know we'd always complain about oh when OU gets in the playoff games that they got to play an SEC team or they got to play Deshaun Watson Clemson and it's like they, they get and then the one time they they play oh an SEC team in Georgia with a freshman quarterback they they can't figure out a way to beat Georgia even though it's maybe the best shot they had because the other time they had a they had Tua and all those Alabama receivers and a terrible defense I say all this to bring up Michigan is they're they're playing an SEC team I I think we're gonna see what happens when Michigan plays these SEC teams in the playoff they're gonna get beat because they're just not as good I just think that's that's essentially everyone's logic and it doesn't Everything that we know about every it just doesn't comport to that at all. I, I this is this is still the same Alabama team that that needed a miracle to beat Auburn before the Georgia game. 
And um, I know, frankly, Mich- they're not, I mean, they're not Michigan very good. has Michigan has been the most dominant team in college football all year. Doesn't matter. So what? I mean, if if you think the Big Ten's great and like their schedule. I don't. I, I, it's, I, I don't think they're great, kind of but you're not, it's, not, it's not about their conference. It's just about them being good. You need, to try to, you need to try to remove those. Well, all they have is who they play. So if they're measuring sticks, who they've been tested by, if I don't think they're that great, then I'm not going to think much of them. And yes, sure, it it's means something that they were able to dominate their schedule. They played one of the worst schedules of a team like this in, I've ever seen. So I don't know. I mean, like this is a, another level. Like Alabama is by far the best team they played this year. I don't. I just. I don't agree with that. I. I do not agree with that. Well, I think I Ohio do. State I mean, is. I think Ohio, Ohio State's, State's probably better than Alabama. I, even with Alabama's kind of sketchy offense, I, I mean Alabama's better on defense than Ohio State. No, Ohio State. Ohio State was Ohio State. And Michigan had the two best defenses, or Ohio State, Michigan, and Iowa had the three best defenses in college football this year. Yeah, but that that there's a gigantic asterisk to that because of the schedule they play. They don't play anybody that can score. It's, it's a it's a joke. And so, I mean, we'll see. We'll see if it plays out. We'll see if all these Big Ten games start happening in these bowl games and if all these games are 13 to 10. And, and then, okay, sure, they, the Big Ten can go ahead and take a victory lap and they can flaunt around. And, all but right, it's not. Great. It's not about that. Like, I don't – even if Michigan comes out and the game goes exactly like I'm predicting it'll go, it doesn't make the Big Ten good this year. You can be you can be right like you can be right well, and yeah, wrong that, at the that, same time. True. The Big Ten was bad this year. No, I mean that's true. Uh, I guess there's no it's it's everyone's just opinion on it, and it's just the style of football. I think it's just the style of football that you think. I guess that you prioritize, and I think Michigan does a really nice job of playing its game, but also I think the teams they played allow them to play their game. I mean, Ohio State didn't take advantage. Ohio State had plenty of opportunities to get a lead in that game and make Michigan uncomfortable, they couldn't do it because their quarterback isn't very good and Ryan Day, coach scared. So Nick Saban's not going to do that. I mean, he's been there a million times. And honestly, Alabama's got nothing to lose and all the pressure's on Michigan. So I mean, maybe they do. Maybe they do come out and play really well. Because, I, I, again, I don't like this Alabama team. I think this Alabama team's incredibly overrated, shouldn't be in this playoff. It annoys me this that is they the, are. This Alabama team. This is the worst. This is the worst team the SEC has sent to the playoff as a representative. I'm positive about that. And still, even with that being the case, I think it's a team that is obviously very capable. They just beat a Georgia team that everybody thought was great, and it obviously is very good. But very good. And right. Georgia like, team. and I'm, I'm, I'm trying. Like, as somebody who is trying to pick a game against the number, I'm trying to remove all of that outside stuff. And just like, what has it been this year? Yeah, that's Michigan fine. has been better than Alabama this year. That doesn't mean that Alabama. That doesn't mean Michigan's definitely going to win. But like that, I think it does make it so that the rhetoric surrounding this game. If you look at any sort of national rhetoric, it's. I mean, it's almost been treated as just like it's. This is a. It's a. It's an Alabama certainty, and that's based off of how the season has gone. That's delirious. That's just not right. I haven't, uh, I guess I, I don't pay attention to that stuff as much as you, so I, I haven't seen that at all. I think, I mean, Michigan is still favored to like, win the title. Everyone so loves like there's, Michigan. There, I, I've like seen there's, the other pl- there's plenty of bulletin board material out there for Michigan to feel disrespected going into this thing. And maybe they've earned that. You know, they, they lost to TCU last year, and it's a, but it's, it's still a different season. 
all right, so you're on Michigan. I'm on Alabama. In the other game, again, and sure, I get Michigan, Alabama. Whoa, I just, I, I just, I don't think this matchup is particularly compelling. It's, it's not, it's a game I'll watch, but I just think there's better stuff out there. And I don't care that it's Alabama, Michigan. I don't care about the tradition. Michigan, Alabama in the Rose Bowl, 3.30 p.m. Central Time kick. Oh, my God. That is college football nirvana. A banger, like Uh, I said. uh, Way better. I'm sorry, and that's the thing. Way better. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean, like, Florida State, it was unjust that they are not in this thing. This matchup is, is just, in every conceivable way, a more attractive matchup than Michigan and Florida State. It depends on what you're looking for. I'm not looking for this. I, I've like Michigan's a boring team to watch. Alabama's not very good. They shouldn't be in this playoff. Florida State was intriguing and interesting because their defense is playing so well, and everybody was counting them out. And they actually found ways to win even without their starting quarterback. And again, I, that I would have been much more interested in that kind of matchup than watching boring Alabama take on boring Michigan. I, I and I don't care about all of the the setting and all that. I care. I, I want to see matchups that I want to see personally, <laughs> and that's why you like look at all these bowl matchups. I find it games. so odd that you would you wanted like you're sitting here talking about how much you hate the Big Ten, and you're telling me you want you preferred to watch essentially Michigan versus Iowa again. That's insane. No, because it would have no. I wanted to see Michigan against Florida State because then it would have proven to me <laughs> proven that Michigan is like not that great because Florida that's, State that, would have like, kept those with are them. your preconceived biases going late. Michigan played Iowa. Iowa's defense is better than Florida State's. I Iowa's defense again. I don't. I don't trust. I don't think that all these Big Ten defenses are that good. There's a giant. They're good, but they're not as good as the stats show because they all beat up on all these bad teams in their conference. Congratulations. That's that's where I'm at. And so, what just, a shocker! Like when, all the top defenses I, like are if, in the same conference. Like if Iowa, like if Iowa, like shutdowns Tennessee and holds them to like their lowest totals and like everything this year, will you come back and say like that logic is kind of flawed? No, I won't because it's a it's a one off. Anything can happen in a one off. It's a consistent thing when you're playing these schedules and you're getting challenged more than just one so, time a year. Okay, so so heads you win, tails I lose. <laughs> what? No, it's this there's is the no, problem. There's with nothing football. that can get you off the stance. There's nothing that can get you off it. No, nothing. I mean, if the Big Ten All starts right. to improve offensively and I actually see good quarterback play. I mean, Kyle McCord was Ohio State's quarterback this year. The guy's not very good. Well, it's a Yikes. good thing that uh, it's a good thing that Dylan Gabriel is coming into the conference next year and other teams and Will Howard at USC and whoever's going to be at thing, Washington, now the you Mississippi got, State guy. This will be an interesting, uh, even more interesting now, because I got Lincoln Riley, who's this offensive genius, but his team is falling apart. And he has like no good players anymore. <laughs> so, like, is he going to be able to figure out how to score points against these Big Ten defenses? That's uh, that's that's a point of television right there. Very curious to see how that plays out. The thing is, though, he'll probably try to change his style up now to play more ball control, kind of like what he used to do when he knew his defense sucked. I don't know. We'll see. The other matchups, the Sugar Bowl, Washington and Texas. Texas, four-and-a-half-point favorite. You can probably get Texas four at certain spots, so it's, it's kind of moved into the Vegas zone at four-and-a-half. And I – man, I just don't – And then, again, I, do, I don't 
I did not want to see this matchup. I, I don't want to see these two teams play. I think I'd rather see these two teams play against other teams. It sucks to me that they're playing each other because I would have liked for these are two teams that I would have wanted to bet on, but now I can't. I can only bet on one of these teams. I don't want to. Like I would have whoever these teams played, I would have been on them. Like if Texas would have played somebody else, boom, I'm on Texas. If Washington would have played somebody else, boom, give me Washington. Whatever it was, now they're playing each other. I I lean Texas, but now I've watched a little bit more Washington, and I just think overall Washington. Their defense is going to get them. It ain't very good. And it's kind of a Cinderella-type season right now for Texas. I think Texas is the best team in this playoff. And I think Texas is going to win. And so I guess based off that, I mean, I, I hate laying four and a half because I think that's a weird number. And I think Washington can certainly cover that number. But it's such a weird number. I'm, I'm going to grab Texas because I, I just think this has been going towards a Texas-Bama rematch with Texas winning it all. I think that's what the narrative is going to happen. And it's going to make us... It's going to be really stupid and dumb. We're watching a rematch in the national title game. And uh, get used to it. We're about to see lots of rematches in, in the playoffs coming up. Yeah, but at least we'll have a, a big old playoff, though, to play out before those rematches can happen. So that, it won't be as bothersome to me. Well, um, so I'm going to roll with Washington in this one. I, uh, I think uh, I think if you go position by position, I think Texas is better. I think they largely have better players. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm going for narrative here. I'm I'm buying into the Washington thing. I think if Washington wins this game, um, I pencil them in. There's there's no number that would be high enough that would not make me take them to win the national championship if they win this game. Um, I think the difference is I like I mean the difference is, gosh man, this is such a good matchup. These are you got the subplots here. My gosh, you got you got the two best receiving cores in college football playing against each other. That's awesome. I think the difference is my Penix is better than yours. I think that's the difference in the game. Name uh, aside of what Odunze, name other Washington receivers because when I watched the Washington Arizona game, I that was like the only guy that did anything for Washington. I so. Jalen Polk. And uh, and McMillan, McMillan is like their number two. Is the other like legit NFL guy, but he's been hurt a lot of the year. Okay, yeah, I don't know. I just don't watch enough of these other games to to really think that there's like oh this. I mean, the last time I it was pretty obvious that a team had awesome receivers was the LSU 2019 team because all those guys did was just do awesome things. Here's the thing, I. Alabama 2019 had awesome receivers that year too. Well, in 2022, didn't they have the same all the same guys? I mean, they did oh, Waddle, yeah. Devonte, and, and Waddle. Uh, who's the one other? Rugs. Rugs <laughs> was 2019. Yeah, and the one thing I mean, I, if Michigan does beat Alabama, then that I will be very like way more interested in the title game. Michigan going up against either Texas or Washington, either one of those teams, that'll be that'll be a fun matchup. I, but I just don't. I don't see Michigan getting past Alabama. But, uh, but yeah, whoever comes out of this game, if they're playing Michigan, you better believe it. I will be all over whoever's playing against Michigan in the title game, and because uh, that's just by far, by far, will be the the best offense that Michigan will have seen, and they won't have a, a month to prepare for it. They'll only have about what seven days, eight days, or whatever the heck it is. So, but no, this will be a this will be a super interesting playoff. You know, for my. For essentially like my, you know, my theory of, of just, you know, 
completing passes at a at a high level is the is the ultimate trump card in college football because um, Washington and Texas objectively are better at that than the other teams in the semifinal, and so like, I think I think whoever wins the Sugar Bowl has is is the favorite to win the whole thing. Yeah, that's just, yeah. I just wish these matchups were different. I mean, I get that's how that's how it goes. I mean, in the NFL, I mean, there's plenty of times where you know the AFC Championship or the NFC Championship is. Like, oh, these matchups aren't great, and I, I, I get it. That's that's sports. It's just. But what gives me what gives me pause, right? And thinks like, ah, oh, maybe it's just. Is it as simple as just taking Texas to win the whole thing because they can pair that really good passing game with the dangerous receivers, and they have the best defensive line in college football. That's why I say Texas is the best team still alive because they're the most complete team of everybody. That the one thing that we don't know about, I, I we you can throw on Texas. I mean, Their I think you're going to be able to throw on all good. these teams. Their safeties are not very good. Uh, yeah, I mean, we'll see. It depends on who's throwing. I mean, yeah, like, good teams that can throw forward passes. And yeah, I mean, but I mean, that wasn't necessarily Jalen Milrow's game. I mean, he would take a bunch of deep shots and stuff and run around back there. And I suppose if Texas's defensive line can't get to him, if they play Alabama, then and obviously a lot of time has gone by since September. Okay, it could be a different game. And then with, with Michigan, I mean, they just like to run the ball with Blake Corum. And I mean, I just, not going to be particularly anything groundbreaking for Texas' defense to see to where they would get gassed through the air. And let, I mean, if Michigan can run the ball on them, then yeah, it'll open up a play action game. And I mean, yeah, Michigan Alabama is a throwback, man. This is a, that's a 2009 SEC game. <laughs> yeah. All right, so recap. We've got double crossfires in the playoff games. I'm on Bama, plus two. Grant's on Michigan, laying the two. And I'm on Texas, minus four and a half. And Grant is on Washington, plus four and a half. So basically, Grant's getting the better of both of the numbers. I'm, I'm getting the worst of the numbers at this point, but that's where we're at. Let's see. We, oh, you play so late Thursday, I suppose. What's do you have? Uh, you got to work on Friday. What do, you, what do you got going on Friday? I do, but you know, it's uh, last day of the year, and I'm in finance, and I work from home. So you do the math. All right. So obviously, we're not going to do a post game pod after the game. It'll be too late. But uh, we'll we'll have to get on the get on the mics at some point on Friday to talk about what happened on Thursday. And I suppose, yeah, we we still don't know the playoff. Well, we'll probably have time, I guess, maybe the next week then to talk about if there's anything else drop in. Maybe we talk about the playoff games. I don't know. We'll see. We shall see what the first week of the year brings us. All right. Any final thoughts before we wrap this bad boy up? Nip high football rules. Hmm. Saw that coming from a mile away. All right, everyone. Well, we will talk to you after the Alamo Bowl between OU and Arizona. Everyone enjoy if you're going travel safe enjoy san antonio if you're not you're enjoying it at home or at a bar and have a good time as well that's probably what i will be doing or something to that effect until next time for grant i am lee this is west of everest if you enjoyed this episode make sure you subscribe to the show and if you want to help us spread the word please leave us a five-star review and also tell all of your friends who are ou fans about west of everest You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.